Hi, welcome to episode 580 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and this podcast is kind of like Obamacare. They both started in the year 2010, and you can't get rid of either one of them. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 645. Today is Fantastic Four 580 from August 2010. The Frank Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman and Neil Edwards. The issue begins on the couch with Franklin and Leech sitting there bored. Franklin has an invitation that says, You are cordially invited to possibly the most impossibly awesome toy event ever. Join us on Wednesday, the 30th of June at 2 p.m. for the unveiling of this season's most anticipated toy line featuring, wait for it, the Impossible Man. What? This is one of those moments where I need to stop and Google because, no, there's never been anything like that. There has never been an Impossible Man action figure, let alone an Impossible Man action figure toy line. Except, there was a Human Torch action figure from 2006 that included a bonus Impossible Man action figure as an extra. But really, I'm not counting that, because who would actually buy an Impossible Man action figure? You know, while Googling that, I learned something new about YouTube. People actually make videos of themselves reviewing action figures and they post those videos on YouTube of them talking about action figures that they have purchased. Now, I don't feel like such a loser anymore for reviewing actual comic books. So anyway, being bored, Leech and Franklin decide to go down and check out the Impossible Man toy event. So in another classroom, Apparently, they now have multiple classrooms in the Baxter building. Reed is talking to the kids and going over their first group project. Dragon Man speaks, saying, Nothing compares to the laser-like focus of a well-heeled mind, Dr. Richards. Oh, why did they do this to Dragon Man? This weird assortment of kids and Android Dragon is so weird. It's weird. Franklin comes in, tugging on his dad's lab coat, I guess Franklin and Leech aren't part of the smart groups kid. So Franklin wants Reed to take him to a toy to that toy store, but Reed is busy. Sue is still at the South Pole, so he tells Franklin that Johnny has agreed to take him. Franklin really wanted to go with his dad, but did he really think that was going to happen? Reed now has a whole room filled with children that he likes better. Sorry, dumb Franklin. Sorry. So they meet Johnny in the lobby, and Johnny tries to tell Franklin that even though Valeria has more in common with Reed, that doesn't mean that Reed loves Franklin any less. You're right. When you have a parent that would rather spend more time with one of your siblings, that means uh, they love you less. Take it from me, I know. Johnny has Reed's gold credit card and says they are going to spend some money. He suggests some Human Torch action figures, but Franklin shouts, Web Shooters! And Leech says, Repulsors! 
Johnny's like, I am never having kids. Actually, he did have a kid once. Well, they tried to, but she just laid an egg. Does that count? So they head on down to the toy store called Arcade's Toy Store. Which, that's kind of confusing. I mean, don't people show up expecting an arcade sometimes? So anyway, Arcade, if you know who Arcade is, uh, he's like an old X-Men villain. You would think Johnny might wonder, but no. As far as I know, Johnny's never met Arcade. So, uh, you know what? I like the idea of Franklin and Leech in Murder World. So they're in this uh, huge toy store filled with plenty of superhero merchandise, which must be great because in this reality, they don't have to pay huge royalties to Disney for that merchandise. Johnny tells the kids to stay back because the first person Johnny sees is Arcade. And Johnny recognizes him. Even though, like I said, I don't think Johnny's ever met him before. Johnny asks, What are you doing here? Arcade points out that it's his name on the building. Johnny, Johnny's hands flame on. Like, what is he going to do? Burn the flesh off a normal, unpowered human being right there in the toy store in front of all the kids that's not a very good idea he's interrupted by the impossible man who's dressed up as a 1960s hippie he even gives Johnny a big hug and says can you feel the love okay you can let go now Johnny says it seems impossible man and arcade are working together and that arcade has gone straight we see a flashback to arcade meeting with impossible man making a deal to sell high-quality, licensed merchandise using the Impossible Man's likeness. How would that work? I'm pretty sure that Impossible Man isn't a household name in this world, so why would licensing, why would licensing his merchandise be anything at all? So something is completely not right about this deal. RK tells Johnny he's given up on games of murder, he's done with death traps, I wish I could say the same. I love a good death trap. Johnny says he's going to keep an eye on Arcade. And then he goes over and he asks Franklin and Leech's uh, for their opinion. Leech says he's a creep. Which, you know, coming from a little green freak, that's saying a lot. Franklin says the dude is a little shaky. So Arcade gets in front of the crowd, mostly children, and introduces Impossible Man as, in his opinion, as the greatest superhero in the history of the world. And Impossible Man shows up, shape-shifting his body to look like a big, buff superhero. Impossible Man says they're selling Impossible Fist with goo-shaped, smack-smacking peace enzymes. Oh, the kids love peace enzymes, you know. And they buy, uh, they have the action figures with zero points of articulation. That sounds like a good deal. And they're also selling impossible plushy head pillows. Each pillow comes with a small piece of the Impossible Man for the low, low price of $19.99. And he asks, who wants some? And the kids scream, me, me, me. I guess if they ever make a Moon Knight action figure, they could sell it to these idiot, undiscerning kids. Franklin does kind of want one of those big Impossible Man fists. And Leech wants a head pillow. Which is weird because Leech and Impy both have big green bald heads. I'm surprised at this point that the Impossible Man hasn't said anything about the resemblance. And we see this flashback again where Arcade says he's given up on death traps. And then he says to himself quietly, 
Okay, maybe a tiny little death trap? Next, at the toy store, Arcade has Impossible Man cut the ribbon. Is that a thing? With new toys? Ribbon cutting ceremonies? And then, things go crazy. I'm not exactly sure what happens next. The yard doesn't do a very good job of making this clear, but we see the floor is shattering apart, and the Impossible Man is knocked over. There was like a wall or something coming down onto the floor. Maybe, I'm not sure. Johnny's like, I knew it! Arcade is like, more, more, more murder! As all these fist toys and fluffy head pillows are go flying at Johnny, they hit him, and for some reason, those pillows are talking in some kind of alien language. You know, when I was a kid, I had a talking head pillow. I'd go to sleep every night with my head on David Byrne's face. Leech gets punched in the face by a flying toy fist. Impossible Man picks up this huge thing. I think it's the thing that fell down and cracked the floor. And he says, Arcade, you're dangerously close to being in breach of contract. I fear I am going to have to get litigious. That's a very little known fact about the Impossible Man. He's very litigious. Arcade says he won't get the chance and he sicks all of the Impossible Man action figures on the real Impossible Man. Meanwhile, Leech has been knocked cold, and Franklin is not happy. We see these balls of light around Franklin's head, and the balls of light around this big toy dinosaur as well, and the toy dinosaur scoops up Arcade into his big furry mouth. Once again, it seems like Franklin has new powers. Has he ever had like balls of light and telekinesis before? I don't think so. But maybe... Uh, who keeps track of these things? I sure don't, and neither do the editors at Marvel Comics. Franklin tells Johnny to burn the toys, and he says he's on it. He burns them all, and Impossible Man screams out, No! And then he changes shape into a tuxedo and acts like he's accepting an Academy Award. So Impy grabs Arcade and tells Johnny he'll handle him, he'll handle him until the authorities arrive. I hope he likes spankings, Impossible Man says. Oh, I'm sure he does. So the Impossible Man says goodbye, and to call him if they ever need to reform this little supergroup. Johnny replies that they are not a supergroup. Johnny tells Franklin that he's going to tell his dad how great he was that day. Take that, Valeria. You may be smart, but Franklin has powers. And maybe in a few more decades, Marvel will decide what those powers are. Johnny asked the kids what their favorite superhero would say, and they both say, Flame on! Next, we go back uh, to something we were doing last issue, looking at New World as it fast forwards in time. We see New World in 515 years. Actually, for some reason, they're calling it New Earth all of a sudden. Did someone forget what they were calling it? Ted Castle creates the most perfect Alyssa Moy robot of all, Moy2515. And she forgives Ted, you know, for putting her brain in a robot body, I guess. A robot spider body, which is even worse. And then New World, in 645 years, Ted dumps 40 years of knowledge into his brain and escapes to Earth with Moy2515. And with New Earth, in real time, beyond the distortion area, which means they're not on New World, or New Earth, 
whatever they're calling it this month, we see that the arcade, not the arcade, we see the Ultron Collective has reached its maximum population and planet Ultron is complete. Then we see New World in 820, 820 years. Natalie X evolves into the total collective un, total collective consciousness of the people of New, New Earth and her body dies and she becomes the New Earth World Mind. I wonder, why did they suddenly change the name of New World? Did the owners of New World custom lighting design and services threaten legal action? Huh. And on New Earth, in 1003 years, Lord Lightwave is still restless, dreaming of Halcyon tomorrows spent serving Galactus. Boy, and I thought my life was in a rut. And in 1217 years, Bruce Banner Jr., Hulk Jr., has gone bald on top, but he's still got the party in the back, and Maestro takes the stage, or so it says. Back in the classroom, Reed has asked Ben to come in, and the kids discuss the project they've chosen. Some ideas have included a mass-to-energy converter. Isn't that like just a fireplace or something? An artificially generated perfect food. Isn't that called a Twinkie? And a death ray. Isn't that called a, you know, death ray? But the project they've decided on involves Ben. Namely, curing Ben of being the thing. Ben says he ain't got time for this. You know, Ben's been cured several times before, which, why don't they just do what was done before? I don't know why. Ben says, what I'm thinking, that Reed has tried and failed all these years, and now he's going to be outsmarted by a bunch of kids? The kids explain that Reed has always tried to cure Ben completely, but with Reed, Sue, and Johnny, their powers go on and off. And Ben, his on switch is stuck on all the time. They just need to come up with a way for him to turn it on and off. And they've come up with a potion. The Moloids, who seem to be the brains behind this operation, explain that they think the potion will only last a short time. Ben eagerly asks, how long? They say they think uh, that they can get him the ability to change back for one week a year. Ben's like, I'll take it. Valeria hands him the vial and says, Congratulations, Mr. Grimm. You get to be human again. And that is the end of the issue. So far, easily, easily the worst issue in Hickman's run. And it probably will be. For now on. I don't think any I don't think it's gonna be any worse than this. But has there ever been a good Impossible Man comic book? Ever? I don't think so. And the usage of Arcade. What was Arcade up to? His motivation for attacking Johnny and the Impossible Man at the same time was never explained. Why did he do that? In the past, he's been paid to do these things. He's a hired assassin. But who paid him to attack Johnny? And the bigger question is, who paid him to attack the Impossible Man. That is what I want to know. Someone with a grudge against the Impossible Man tried to kill him? Who? Batmite? And I feel sorry for Johnny being sucked into this story. This is the worst thing Hickman does to Johnny in the entire run. 
including killing him. Ah, oh, yeah. My favorite part of the show, Poetry Corner, is back in today's selection. Another poem from my favorite collection of erotic poetry. It's called, You're a Venus, and I'm a big... Oh, wait. We're not done. It's been a very, very long time. It's been nine years, actually. Not since 2001. It was such a traumatic year, we needed nine years to recover before Marvel foisted another Fantastic Four annual on us. But here they are, and they've gone back to their original numbering as well. Hi, welcome to episode 580, part 2 of the Fantastic Forecast. Today, it's Fantastic Four, annual 32 from August 2010. A Little Stranger by Joe Aherney and Brian Hitch. I don't know what amazes me more, that I've done podcasts on 580 issues of the Fantastic Four, or that I've done podcasts on 32 Fantastic Four annuals, which I'd say all but five or six of them are crap. So uh, so here we got the co-writer and the penciler from the Mark Millar run. It looks like we're getting dragged back into the Mark Millar Fantastic Four world one more time. So the issue begins with an attractive young red-headed woman at the Baxter building. Gee, I wonder why she's there. She says, Is this the Fantastic? Oh my god! She opens the door and is surprised to see Reed, uh, Sue, and Ben conducting an anti-G multi-mind test. Yes, these are small minds that float around the room and there's dozens of them. Reed tells the girl not to move a muscle. She says her name is Amy Briss. You know, it takes a lot of guts for a guy to hook up with a woman whose last name is Briss. Reed admonishes her, saying, You could have gotten us all killed. Why is she allowed to just wander around the Baxter building uh, by herself? Isn't this a high security area? I mean, this ain't exactly... Mar-a-Lago, where any old Russian spy can wander in for a game of golf, Sue says she's got her covered. They find out how she got in. She's got a, a one of Johnny's pass cards. Reed tells her that any one of their enemies would kill her for that. She says she's concerned because she hasn't heard from Johnny in several days. Reed says he might be in the negative zone. Always a good excuse when you hook up with someone and you don't want to call them the next day. Hey, I'm going to the negative zone for a while. Don't wait by the phone. She leaves, and Sue makes Johnny visible again. He says it was a one-night thing, two months ago. And he starts to say, If I had to call every... He's back in his Miller Hitch manslot phase again. Reed is looking at some we- readings which he recognizes as a variation of a cosmic energy pattern, a variation similar to the one that almost killed Sue back in annual number six when she was pregnant. And she ain't pregnant now. That leads Johnny to assume that 
someone else is pregnant, and that has to be Amy. So Johnny rushes outside to see Amy, and she tries to say that she's not a gold digger, but she just wanted Johnny to know about her baby. Just then, a bunch of large, robotic bug creatures show up, saying, Host acquired, and they attack. The rest of the Fantastic Four show up rather quickly, and it's clobbering time as Ben cuts loose on the android pest. It seems they're after her because of that cosmic energy inside her. I guess Johnny's sperm comes with that extra dose of cosmic energy. Johnny says he doesn't even remember kissing her. They just met at a club. And for a second, I was thinking this was supposed to be that girl from uh, issue 578. But her name was Natasha. I just checked. This is a different hot, red-headed woman that he met at a club and supposedly uh, didn't kiss. You know, just because he didn't kiss her doesn't mean he didn't have sex with her, by the way. I've had my share of encounters like that. So they need to do a paternity test on Amy. And the only way to do this, this early, is by shrinking Sue down very small and injecting her into Amy's stomach, of course. How else would you do it? We see Sue inside Amy's guts, a stomach or an intestine, and it looks like Amy recently had Cheerios, the breakfast of champions, and gold diggers apparently. Sue reaches the fetus, she does a little injection to draw a sample. Now Johnny and Ben have gone back to the club where he met Amy. Ben asks if Johnny works the dance floor or the bar area, and Johnny says he works it in the VIP room in the back. Ben has a pair of goggles that allow them to look into the past, which I assume they're not sharing this technology with the police because that would pretty much revolutionize police work as we know it. You know, but then again, would we want the police to have something like that? Probably not. They see the night Johnny met that girl. Both Johnny and the girl are throwing up. And we see the little robot bugs crawling into the bodies of Johnny and Amy. And back with Sue, who is still inside Amy. I never thought I'd say anything like that on this podcast. Sue gets attacked by something. Those little android bugs, which she has no problem with using her powers. But then Johnny enters the room, saying that he's infected too. Reed says, and I quote, They got what they came for in you, Johnny. That's why they went inside Amy, to complete the insemination procedure. I am getting so turned on right now. While Reed studies the android creatures return to full size after being captured by Sue, Sue and Ben take a journey into Johnny's brain, where most likely Ben will make a joke about not finding anything. Reed and Johnny try to figure out who can make shrinking robots like this, and Johnny guesses Psycho Man and a voice of the true culprit comes out of her speaker, and she says that she's Psycho Woman. Huh, has Psycho Man transitioned, or is this a different character? And what's the difference between a Psycho Man and a Psycho Woman? A Psycho Man is always Psycho, and a Psycho Woman is only Psycho for a few days a month. So Psycho Woman attacks Ben and Sue while they're all in Johnny's brain, and this causes Johnny to grab his head and yell out in pain. Sue ends up getting knocked out. Psycho Woman says that uh, hate, fear, and doubt are her father's tools. Ah, so she's his daughter. And she has sharper tools. 
Let me guess. What's worse than hate, fear, and doubt? Envy, embarrassment, and confusion. I think I might be biased because I think somebody is blasting me with those emotions every day. So whatever she does, Ben cries out in pain. Reed shrinks down into a needle and Amy injects him into Johnny. Yeah, Johnny now has the entire team in his head. And wouldn't you know it, right at that moment one of those big android bugs crashes through the wall and Johnny can't flame on because he'd burn up his teammates. The creature, is, the creature says, host and tissue donor secure. Johnny's like, who you calling a tissue donor? And then it dawns on him, I'm the father. But I'm confused. Uh, the father of what? The bug creature? Is she really pregnant? I don't know. Reed tells Johnny they have moved to his left arm, so Johnny's able to flame on his right hand and fire at the big critter. Inside Johnny, Ben wants to fight Psycho Woman, but Reed says they ought to get out of there because they're hurting Johnny. But first, they have to find their way out. And this is problematic because uh, there ain't too many ways out of a person. If it were me, I'd go for the mouth. Because, you know, that's probably the cleanest way to get out. Maybe Johnny can pee them out like chunks of a dissolved kidney stone. Sue is able to turn uh, the wall of Johnny's body invisible so they can see where they are, and Johnny can see where they are, and uh, Psycho Bitch can see where they are too. And she attacks with some energy beam, and Johnny cries out in pain again. Sue has a little chat with Psycho Woman about her father, saying that she'll do to her what she did to her father. Psycho Woman says that event changed her from all time. It changed her from a girl to a woman. Which, that seems a little overly clever, uh, you know, because that event turned uh, Sue from the Invisible Girl to the Invisible Woman. Uh, so Psycho Woman uses another emotion on Sue, which turns Sue into a zombie. It's kind of a uh, nothingness emotion. Johnny and Amy are freaking out, and Johnny keeps insisting they're not handing over their kid. Which I guess Psycho Woman is trying to get Amy's baby. I guess she really is pregnant. Back inside Johnny, the thing clobbers Psycho Lady, damages her emotion machine, and Sue starts to return to normal. Johnny ends up getting knocked through a wall of the building, and he's falling, but he can't flame on and fly because the rest of his team is inside his body still, and they would burn up and die. So he's just going to let himself fall and die. Reed tells Amy to jump out the window to save the life of her baby's father. And she does! So this is like bait, forcing Johnny to flame on and save her. Inside, everyone gets inside of a heat shield they took off of Psycho Woman. So Johnny flames on, he catches the girl, he burns up the bugs, he returns to headquarters, certain that he's killed the rest of the team. But the rest of the team appear full size, saying they survived because of that shield, but Psycho Woman is toast. They don't explain what hole they came out of. Next, they're getting the time machine ready because they're going back in time and preventing Amy from getting pregnant? What? That's only going to create an alternate timeline. They're still going to be in the timeline where Amy's pregnant. That's not going to work. Oh, I hate that Reed has forgotten how time travel works. So dumb. It's like an abortion. 
in the negative first trimester. Ben says, it's kind of like taking a morning before pill. Whatever it is, I don't think Mike Pence would approve. And then, Amy uses a time machine by herself. But the time machine is like a pool of water that she jumps into. You know, the only consistent thing in all these years in the Baxter building, from the first appearance of the time machine back in issue 4, has been the appearance of the time machine. It's a yellow platform that raises up and down. It's not a pool of water. Where did the pool of water come from? I don't know. But then Amy goes by herself, and she doesn't come back. And that leaves the FF wondering where she went. What time did she go to? Did she have her baby? Nobody knows. And some people don't care, like me for example. Ugh, what a shitty annual. I hated this story. I hated this confusing story. I hate the stuff about the pregnant girl. The one that Johnny said he didn't even kiss. I hate the psycho woman character. Ugh, who needs her? I hate the art. This is like the most boring issue I have ever seen Brian Hitch draw, ever. It only takes place in a couple of rooms in the Baxter building and inside Johnny's body. I think this was like a vacation for Brian Hitch. Nothing overly complex for him to draw. And what exactly were those bug creatures and why did they want that baby? Were they from the negative zone? I think so. I think we're going to see them again later in the Hickman run, if I'm not mistaken. Do they work for an Iris? I think they might. So that's annual 32, which leaves us with only two more annuals. And that's all for this show. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. Or you can download other episodes of iTunes to find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. Sit on the park wall, ask all the right questions. While the horses race in taxis in the winter. Look up at the buildings, imagine who might live there. Imagining you all for to fall upon the sink there.